You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, episode number 59, 50 Shades of Pre-Specification. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. And regarding leadership skills, I'm really, really pleased that we have an upcoming webinar about the mastering the art and the science of influential communication for statisticians. And it would be awesome if you would sign up for that and tell your colleagues about it. You can find all what you need to know about this um, webinar at theeffectivestatistician.com uh, webinar. And in this webinar, you'll learn more about challenges around communications, how to overcome them, being more influential, and especially also how you can cope with a challenging audience. What is important about a strong start and a strong finish uh, of uh, communication. And three things that you can do right now to improve your communication. So don't miss this opportunity. Enroll for the webinar is completely for free and you'll be much more effective afterwards if you implement what you will learn in this um, webinar. And I'm pretty sure it will also reduce lots of frustrations. So today in the episode we will talk about um, topics that is very close to my heart. It's pre-specification. And Lovisa, uh, the person that I'm interviewing today and myself, we are working on this uh, now for some time and we figured that it's not as black and white as it usually uh, sounds and we will dissect in this podcast exactly what are the different dimensions you need to take care of in order to better understand how pre-specified or how post hoc and how valid your analysis are. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global membership organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video on demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. And you get that for only £20 if you're coming from a non-high income country and only £95 for high income countries. So just go to psiweb.org and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician and this time it's again with Lovisa as uh, we were already speaking and uh, about a different topic uh, last year approximately actually the same time and uh, this time is also something that uh, Lovisa will present about on the Wednesday morning of the PSI conference. Hi Lovisa, how are you doing? Hi Alexander, many thanks for having me. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very, very good. Okay, so today our topic is pre-specification and um, we have a very, very nice title which is about the 50 shades of pre-specification, scientific considerations in post hoc analysis of clinical trials in HDA. So HDA in terms of um, health technology assessments, the 
things that you do if you want to get reimbursement and um, price negotiations with the different countries all over the world. Um, HDA is actually a bigger concept, but um, what we are talking here about is exactly that. So, um, why is that actually a problem? Isn't pre-specified completely clear? Yeah, I mean, at the first glance, you might think it is, because you have your clinical study, you and in this clinical study, you have your protocol, you have your SAP, you have your programming specification, and this is all finalized before unblinding. And then database lock happens, we analyze our report and report the data, everyone is happy, perfectly clear, pre-specified analysis. And this is, of course, the gold standard. And we, uh, our definition of uh, pre-specified is analyze, uh, analy analysis specified, detailed enough for independent duplication of results finalized prior to unblinding. Yeah, so it's really kind of, it's detailed and it's prior to unblinding and it can be replicated if you just take the same uh, specifications. So that's the great gold standard. Now, what's post hoc? Exactly, and then post hoc, not surprisingly, would then be analyzes that are not fully specified before unblinding. And if you ask a physician what post hoc analyses are, they will of course immediately think about, for example, subgroup analyses. But I want to point out that no, not all subgroup analyses are post hoc, and not post hoc all post hoc analyses are subgroup analyses. So even though this, of course, and you will hear me talk about that more later, but subgroup analyses is a big topic here, but there are also other post-hoc analyses. Yeah, and so on a first glance, it really looks like pre-specified is a gold standard, that's kind of the white part, and post-hoc is always bad and the kind of dark side of it. Yeah, and I mean, if it was that easy, we wouldn't be having this discussion today. Because, you know, life is never that black and white, is it? So where it starts to get a little bit more messy is when you look into things like HTA, uh, but also unexpected findings in the study. We have all been through those studies where you at database log go like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and hopefully this, oh, that interesting is covered by your uh, statistical analyze plan, but it might not be. And then, of course, you might need post-hoc analysis to explore and understand the impact of this better. Or there might be a regulatory request, you know, the regulatory authorities and the HDA authorities don't always agree that what we think is the most important analysis of a study actually is the most important analyse of, uh, analysis of the study. So you can't just keep it black and white. And this is exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Yeah, and I think also kind of the, the um, level of detail is, of course, ver can vary uh, a lot. You know, you can have um, completely kind of uh, everything laid out so that you maybe even have the code already written and that is completely pre-specified. 
or you may just say uh, we want to analyze this endpoint by that method but not be you know more clear about how you um, define the subgroup or uh, how you um, analyze the subgroup in terms of uh, dichotomizing it or, or these kind of things exactly and you know and to understand this better uh, we need to understand why we need post-hoc analysis and as you mentioned in the beginning, since we today are talking mainly within the HTA setting, I'm going to focus on that. And there are basically three main drivers for post-hoc analysis within HTA. The first one is the difference, so that the evidence-based medicine background of HTA, which is different from regulatory. So already sort of in their underlying philosophy between regulatory and HTA, there are differences, and these differences can then uh, lead to post-hoc analysis, and it's a little bit the same as the difference between con uh, confirmatory setting and real-world needs. The next point is uh, that the HTA world is consistently changing. You know, when we start our big phase three program, we just know how the market looked there. It look at that point, and we know as well that. We have competitors that are trying to get their products out on the market, but new registrations on medicines, changes in guidelines, political changes, all of these will impact our, the analysis needed. And these are very hard to predict during study design because it's a changing environment. Yeah, so, so it could be, for example, that when you actually design your study, you're thinking about a specific patient population and that is uh, and also the HTA body maybe at that point might think of, we are interested in this specific patient population and then new treatments become available and they say oh no this part of the uh, population is covered by that treatment so we want to know whether how your treatment works in all the other uh, patients and these kind of changes um, can lead to these kind of post-hoc analysis that uh, you can't actually predict uh, during the study design. Absolutely. And to add even more complexity to this, you know, we talk about HTA, but it's not just one HTA body. It's multiple countries. And each of these countries will have uh, their differences in law, cultures, markets, everything. And... Even though there are initiatives ongoing, there is at the moment no centralized procedure, which means that all these considerations that we have already mentioned is not only needed once for HTA, it's needed for every, in worst case for every single country. Yeah, yeah. And if you think that only in Europe we have more than 20 countries, uh, that already amounts to lots of lots of differences. So as you can see, to foresee all of this and to correctly and detailed specify this in your SAP prior to database lock might be a bit tricky. Yeah, especially tricky for the protocol. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and yes, to give a few examples, because we said in the beginning that, you know, you pre-specified your analysis, you lock the database, you conduct them, you report them. I want to sort of give a few examples where the gray zone is not only for pure post-hoc analysis, but even the gold standard has 
a few shades of gray in it. Yeah. So for example, you have your study protocol, and in your study protocol, you have said that subgroup analysis will be conducted based on age for the primary endpoint. Now, this is brilliant. It's pre-specified because it's in your protocol. Uh, and the endpoint uh, is well defined, even if it wasn't in my statement. It's the primary endpoint of the study, so it's that should be it should be, be well defined somewhere else in the protocol. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> however, there are a few clouds on the sky here. Uh, for example, is age continuous or categorical? And if categorical, what cutoffs? You know, that's not mentioned here. And it also doesn't consider the statistical methods. Subgroup or subgroup analysis can, of course, be done in different ways. Is this a simple split between the two subgroups? Age criteria met, yes, no. Or is this should this be included as a parameter in your regression model? And then, of course, if we start to do a lot of these subgroups, how do we consider multiplicity? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and another example of where we have a post-hoc analyze that where people would normally say that this might be bad, this is maybe not so scientific. It you know there is also shades in this. So uh, for example, take the HTA request to show consistency of results across subgroups defined by country reimbursement guideline versus overall study on primary endpoint. So this is, since it's an HGA request, it's not pre-specified. However, it's also not data-driven. It's not us who have, it's not the sponsor who has set, set the criteria for the country reimbursement. Uh, and it's also, once again, as we mentioned in the previous, the primary endpoint of the study should be well defined, but then it lacks of it lacks information on the statistical method. Yeah. So there are some good points here and some bad points, exactly like we saw in the uh, clinical trial protocol example. And classically, you would very often say, well, the H C one example with the study protocol that's pre-specified. Also, it actually has some kind of limitations, whereas the HDA uh, request, that's post hoc, also it has actually some, you know, advantages in it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not kind of this, uh, oh, we run kind of 1000 analysis and then we present those that, you know, fit our needs um, of fit our wants, so to say. <laughs> and uh, so there should be some kind of differentiation between these different shades of gray in terms of uh, post hoc and or completely post hoc so to say on one hand and highly pre-specified where you know every detail is nicely laid out um, there should be some kind of separation between these kind of things exactly because I think all of you after me giving you these two examples I think all of you can agree that the, these two examples are, s are slowly starting to approach each other in terms of scientific rigor, rigor. Yeah. because they are, you know, there are there are advantages and or pros and cons with both of them. There are parts that are well specified and others that are not. So if we can't divide the world into black and white, you know, then 
having a grading system would would of course make sense. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to kind of come up with a system for how we can clearly and consistently across kind of uh, different uh, publications, reports and so on uh, describe how pre-specified or how post hoc these analyses are so um, that it's clear to the reader what was actually pre-specified here and what parts are actually post hoc. Yeah, this is very important and I work on a lot of publications and I'm actually quite proud that I make sure that I always have a sentence in there that says these analyses were post hoc or these analyses were part of the pre-specified analyses in the study and I thought already that was going quite far and but that is not covering these shades of grey so to say that's once again using the black and white definition that I hope after after today you will try and avoid. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, this would help to come out of these discussions whether something is pre-specified or not. Yeah, so, so uh, because I remember a couple of discussions uh, within a company where, where we were looking into some analysis and we were discussing, is that now pre-specified? Because partly it's mentioned, yeah. or is that not pre-specified because Actually, there were so many pieces in the analysis that, you know, you could come up with lots of different ideas. Yeah. So, so in terms of our um, original definition, you know, this is highly pre-specified. It basically means that, you know, anybody that reads that and programs it comes up with the same, same results. But Yeah, and going back to your own study... Uh, uh, your own study specifications I think we can all agree that that's quite hard to achieve even in the best of yeah. circumstances yeah. so what I want to propose instead and what I find much more informative is to break it down to what are the important compounds of finding this scientific rigor uh, in a pre-specified versus post-hoc analysis and and we have five of them. Exactly. So the first one is the detail, the level of details in the specifications. The second one is the rationale for analysis and methods. Uh, the third one is timing of writing the specifications. The fourth one is transparency of result presentation. And the fifth one is degree of alpha control. Yeah. So let's dive into each of these five kind of dimensions that uh, drive how pre-specified uh, an analysis is. So first, in terms of the detail of specifications, um, what are the kind of things that we need to look into there? So for those of you who listened to the previous episode with me, you know I really like the estimates, and that's coming back here, because we need to see how well specified our study outcome is or our estimate is. So we have the population, the variable, the population level summary and, in, and the intercurrent event. And these are four pillars and these four all needs to be well specified in order for us to say that it's fully specified. But this is not enough to just have your estimate. You also need to be clear on your statistical 
method of estimating your outcome. So uh, your statistical method needs to be well specified, including uh, sensitivity analysis. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So that's number one. Uh, the second one is uh, the rational one for the uh, analysis and methods. And I think that's a very, very interesting one because uh, you can come up with lots of different rationals. Um, and um, I think that is very often wasn't considered as, as being important. And I think the example where um, the analysis are required by HDA body based on a guideline, which of course is kind of, you know, a pre-specified document in itself, um, is an important thing to have a look into. Absolutely. So here you sort of have different grades of uh, how, what rationale or how well you're, you have uh, argued for your rationale of conducting the analysis. Of course, we have that they are included in the study objective and then they are covered by the rationale for conducting the study in the first place. But as you mentioned, having a regulatory authority or an HTA body coming up with a specific request is, of course, also a very high level of, of uh, transparency in why you are conducting the analysis. While on the other extreme, we can look at things like purely data-driven decisions, where you sit down with a group of physicians and play around with the data and sort of looks at what looks good, and then you conduct an analyze based on that. And I think it's clear to all of us that the rationale really counts for pre-specifications when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah. Okay, number three is uh, timing of writing the specification. Well, that's, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, this is what we typically consider when we talk about post hoc versus pre-specified. And that needs to be in here, of yeah. course. Yeah. Uh, and I think there are a few things here to mention as well, that this is not just a pre-specified versus uh, so before or after the database lock question. This is also about if we have done it before database lock, it becomes a question about where is this documented? Yeah. Because you can't just say that, oh, well, I discussed this with a few physicians prior to database lock, so therefore... It's pretty first one. Exactly. <laughs> and it's also not good to just have it written in an email sitting on a server somewhere. But, of course, what is good is if it's the best scenario is if, if it's in the protocol, which is then published on clinicaltrial.gov or similar. Yeah. But then, of course, if you have a dated and signed document, that's much better than having having just your typical email and this is also an important thing to discuss during your phase three planning pro uh, program because we have our normal uh, set and this one needs to be finalized before database log and it has, mo at least in most companies, a lot of procedures connected to it, how, how when and where to, to finalize it. So it might be worth having a separate HTA set to cover 
the need of flexibility that is in HTA, but then it's important to address this, that is it possible to maybe lock parts of this app yeah. prior to database lock and document that somehow, uh, rather than just having one living document that never really gets finalized. So uh, there is more complexity to this than just uh, is it specified prior to database lock, yes or no. One thing that I was always kind of um, feeling a little bit weird about is um, these kind of to prove that it was really specified yeah. is um, pretty easy if you're a regulator, yeah, because you have the authority to, to look into all the documentation, to audit stuff and all these kind of things. Um, some HDA bodies also um, request much more kind of documentation on that and then of course for them it's also pretty transparent but if you're you know just a, a usual scientist it's the only thing that you can really see that it's uh, specified upfront is things like clinical trials.gov you know where everything is publicly available uh, before database lock and, and where there's really a system in place that um, gives transparency to everybody. And I yeah. think that leads us to, to the next dimension, which is uh, about uh, transparency. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, if you take an extreme example, you could specify in your SAP that we will conduct these 500 subgroup analyses and then when you have done that you just cherry pick the two which happen to be have a significant p-value. <laughs> I think we have all had those discussions with physicians at one point or another that that is not good statistical <laughs> practice. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless this is also part of how scientific your analyses actually are in the end or your results are in the end so it's important to ask yourself the question uh, are all the results uh, from conducted analyses included because if you specify the analyses conduct them and report all of them you have full transparency yeah however the second that you start to include just a few of the analyses even if you're not cherry picking but the second that you start to pick out analyses, you have to be clear with why you have picked them out and also preferably to somehow reflect the results that you haven't included. Mm. To, for example, say that they were consistent with the other subgroup analyses requested or that there, there were no signals seen in other subgroups or something, first of all, indicating that there are more analyses that is not included and also given giving the recipient a sort of feeling for what are the what what is it what is it we are hiding yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay and then we come to the last dimension the alpha control that's also a pretty straightforward one yeah this is very straightforward this is basically asking or being transparent with if this is uh, controlled for uh, for uh, multiplicity, yes, yes or, no. or no. And this is not necessarily us saying that you should always control for multiplicity, especially in an HTA setting. This is this almost becomes a phil philosophic question, uh, but it's more about 
clearly stating when you have done it or when you haven't. Yeah, and I think that's a kind of nice thing to separate um, specified analysis uh, uh, that are under the primary um, umbrella of the study um, or maybe, you know, even uh, if you have integrated analysis and these are pre-specified, yeah, and, and you uh, have agreed on some multiplicity adjustment maybe on these integrated analysis could also be the case. So I think that um, it's not to say that all analysis needs to be pre-specified, uh, all pre-specified analysis needs to be alpha controlled, it's just an additional kind of description of the, uh, of the analysis and okay. to come up really with a comprehensive uh, um, to comprehensive approach to that. So um, what do you think are actually then based on all these discussions best practices to follow for HTA submissions? So just very shortly to summarize it, I think to increase transparency of the results uh, in an HTA, uh, we need to be very we need to try and pre-specify elements such as methods or subgroups uh, as early as possible uh, and we clearly need to uh, disclose uh, the level and detail of the specifications as well as uh, state the rationale for conducting these analyses and it's also very important to be clear and transparent when you present your results, including both a statement if this is all results and if not, give the recipient a feeling for what is not included. And then of course also include a sentence on alpha level control. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be, you know, describing that more comprehensively would be a much better way of, of describing these uh, pre-specifications and you know what we discussed at the beginning just writing in your paper these analysis were post hoc or these analysis were pre-specified and speak about these different dimensions how pre-specified they are and that gives the reader or the listener in the presentation a much or the HDA body much better kind of feeling for the scientific rigor and uh, where in this gray zone between uh, being completely highly pre-specified and being completely data-driven and post-hoc um, where in this gray zone it actually sits. Yeah and I think that's a very good summary of this and if there's something I want you to take away from uh, this podcast today it is that we have to step away from just saying pre-specified or post-hoc and we have to acknowledge that there is a grey zone in between and I see it as a very important task for the statistician to communicate to the teams and make sure that there is a transparency on this and that we assign the statistical or the scientific rigor to the analysis in the way it should be done. So yeah. we can't just say that just because it happens to be specified after database lock, it's bad, or prior to database lock, it's good. It's actually our job to make sure that the physician sees these shades of gray and not only black and white. Yeah, and 
Um, both Lovisa and myself will be at the PSI conference. So please join us there in the uh, Wednesday morning session. Yes. And it would be awesome to have some discussion about this topic and to learn from your viewpoint here and how you see that, how, what your experience with that is. And um, uh, please come to London early June and then we can have a, uh, a great discussion about that. Thanks, Louisa, so much for, for coming today and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. This show was created in association with PSI. And next week, we'll talk about subgroup analysis, or more specifically, subgroup identification tools. Quite nice uh, episode. You'll love it. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to register for the webinar and tell your colleagues about it. It will be pretty awesome because I know Gary is an awesome speaker and uh, we are working together on that and it will be quite, quite interesting. We have done lots of things about communication in the past together and I'm sure you'll get lots of value from it. And remember, it's for free.